Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that this summer is stressing the importance of being a good steward on the trail, finding ways to avoid contributing to crowding, and staying safe on public lands. We'll talk about how just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages everyone to come out and experience state parks during its centennial, the 100th anniversary of the state park system, especially through service projects listed online at stateparks.oregon.gov. It's a way to enjoy the parks you love while doing activities like cleaning up trails and restoring wetlands. All right, in today's episode, we're headed down a river responsible for giving the whitewater bug to countless Portland residents. It's a river great for lazy floats and thrilling whitewater that only recently reopened after an extended closure due to the Labor Day fires. We're going to talk about what makes it so special and how it looks post-fire with a guide who has been there for the past 25 years. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, today we are going to float down one of Oregon's iconic rivers, one that is the backyard kayak, raft, and tube destination for Portland, and that is the Clackamas River. It's located just outside Estacada. The Clackamas has everything you could want in a river from beautiful scenery to fun rapids to swimmable water and fishing. Much of the Clackamas was closed by impact from the Riverside Fire last season, but it has reopened for those that want to get out on the river. And it should be noted, not all of the river did burn. So we're going to get into all those details. In this episode, we're going to be talking about all things related to Clackamas Whitewater. And there's no person better for that than Pete Giordano the owner of Blue Sky Rafting, which this summer is celebrating 25 years of rafting the upper Clackamas. Pete's also an avid kayaker who has paddled extensively across Oregon and Washington for the last 30 years. So Pete, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Pete, can you kind of paint me a picture of the Clackamas as a whole? What are the, the sights and the smells and the highlights? Like, and especially what makes it unique among Oregon's, you know, numerous sure. rivers? So uh, for those who don't know, the Clackamas starts up in the high Cascades uh, east of kind of the Portland metro area. But it really starts just south of Mount Hood and just north of Mount Jefferson. There's a really neat area of high altitude lakes up there around the Lally area, which is well loved by lots of folks. Um, and there's a lot of springs and um, that's kind of makes the source of the Clackamas. So it cascades down from that very small, very rugged, um, incredible terrain up there through several different sections um, with a variety of whitewater and few falls and things. And then it kind of spills out into the Willamette Valley by Estacada, turns into a more gentle, broad uh, float trip uh, finishing down by Oregon City. It still is one of the areas where people are looking for Sasquatch. Because once you get off the beaten track, there's just some really incredible 
uh, rugged terrain out there that you just don't find a lot of places uh, near the Willamette Valley. I think one thing that sticks out to me is like when people from Portland talk about the Clackamas is like their backyard spot where they can get like legit whitewater. Like there's a million small, you know, rivers, the Willamette and stuff like that around there. But the Clack is the place to like go have fun, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's this little tucked away corner that being so close to Portland, you would think is overrun. And I think a lot of folks love it because they can kind of go up there and get the feeling of, of getting lost a little bit in a way. It's not a big, Hey, I'm going to party with, you know, a hundred of my best friends. It's still pretty rugged, still pretty wild. And you have this great diversity of experiences you can have, whether it's, you know, non-river related or river related. Everything from very beginner stuff to ton of great intermediate uh, and a few advanced ones as well. Like you can, you know, hike in, really get out in the woods and run some waterfalls kind of thing. All of those Mm. go through this just incredible scenery and terrain. The water quality is exceptional year round. So it's super clean. And it just all of those things combined being so close to Portland, I think really captures uh, a lot of people's imaginations. Yeah. And, you know, I was just doing kind of a thought exercise about, you know, Portland is definitely like a whitewater town. And without the Clackamas, I'm just not sure that it is. It just, you know, gives Portland the chance to like go out after work and run some class three, class four and like rapids like really quick. Like it's just this great backdoor thing. to well, have. And it's a great learning river as well, just with the the variety of features on the river that make it just a really exceptional learning river. And so a lot of the really good kayakers that are based in Portland kind of cut their teeth on the, the Clackamas and it was kind of their stepping stone. So the Clackamas is a tributary of the Willamette River, kind of centered around the southwest side of the Portland metro area, as we talked about, and then up to Estacada and up into the mountains. Can you kind of describe the major parts of the river? I mean, we'll get into the best trips a little bit later, but in broad strokes, like what are the kind of different segments and what makes them stick sure. out? Sure. So I think it's generally divided for the most part at Estacada. There's a couple dams in that area, which we'll talk about later, but the dams kind of mark the change in geology from uh, heavily influenced Cascade volcanic rugged to more Willamette Valley sandstones and broad kind of meanders and, and multiple channels and stuff. And so from Estacada down uh, is much more of a kind of a float trip. There's a few rapids here and there, and um, but there's also, uh, you know, great swimming spots. A lot of folks tube it. It's a very nice, mellow family trip. You know, and the closer you get to the Willamette, kind of the mellower it gets. So, you know, down below, let's say Carver, park which is a real popular park there really aren't a whole lot of rapids moving water and kind of some turns here and there Um, and then up above Estacada you kind of have the main intermediate section which is like 13 miles of class 3-4 and then up above that you kind of get into some of the tributaries and more of the less frequently run sections and there's probably almost 10 different boaters call sections of river that folks do and some of them are really rugged and others are still intermediate just smaller and a little more intimate yeah so what's your your connection to the clackamas you've been rafting it running guided trips out there for it sounds like 25 years so how, how did that all start like how did you come to the clackamas and be yeah so it's long? interesting i i got my start in colorado on the arkansas river which at the time was the most uh heavily rafted river in the u.s with close to almost half a million people going down it a year 
so very used to crowds and the group dynamics and just a lot of that uh, going on. And when I came back to Oregon, because I loved kayaking in the winter and wanted to start my company, I, I kind of was looking at the Clackamas in, in July and August, and there wasn't anybody on it at all. And I was very confused because almost every river in Colorado has commercial use all summer long. And so when I approached the Forest Service and asked them, why is nobody rafting this? I would love to raft this in the summer. I don't think they had an answer either. Um, and so they wanted to know if it was a good trip. And I said, yes, it's a great trip. And uh, I guarantee people will love it. And they said, well, let's try it. And we, a couple of our companies said, okay, let's try it. Turns out it is a great river. People love it. And it, we run all the way through Labor Day. And um, it's still not very crowded after 25 years. And it's still kind of the same experience as, as when we started it, which is kind of interesting. I'm curious, have you ever answered that question about why people in Oregon? Was Oregon just not a big whitewater rafting place at that time? So people didn't figure it out? Was it too remote? Like, have you ever been able to answer the question of why people yeah, weren't out there? It's interesting. Um, I think I have my answer and it may not be the right answer, but that's the one I go with. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a couple twofold. So in Oregon, we're blessed with the Deschutes River, which is dam controlled, big river. Um, the flows basically stay the same all year which makes mm -hmm. for very easy rafting. You don't have to necessarily worry, oh, is there enough water? Is not enough water? It's a very easy run to do. There's no real hazards, and it's very easy to guide yourself without any experience. There's no real problems. And it's in the desert, so it's super hot. And so for the most part, the population of Oregon, that's where they got their start, and that's what they used to do was raft the Deschutes. The Clackamas was much more of a, oh, if you have your own boat and you kind of want to go early in the winter, you do it when the flows are high. But it's not, and it never has been a river where, oh, I'm going to grab, I'm going to go rent a boat and, and bump down the Clackamas because it has hazards <laughs> that you don't necessarily know about. But I think from that standpoint, the general public was just used to going over to the Deschutes. And then you combine that with the Forest Service for years and years only allowed two companies to run trips and neither of which were interested in running the Clackamas, uh, you know, after, say, mid-June because they could run the Deschutes and the White Salmon where their offices were based and it was more economical to run over there. So they didn't run any trips in the summer. So while other rivers like the Deschutes and the White Salmon were getting very, very popular, like a lot of commercial rivers do, the Clackamas kind of missed that boom and was just kind of sitting there unnoticed for years and years and years until we kind of said, hey, I think it's a good trip. Well, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And the fact that you can do it in the summer, I mean, I, I, I love the Clackamas. So it's that's that's really cool. Now, part of the river was closed for an extended period from following the uh, Labor Day fires uh, this past spring. So. A, what part of the river did the Riverside Fire impact, and how does it look now? So, so just paint me a picture of, you know, because it didn't burn the entire right. Clackamas. It burned kind of the upper river. So kind of like paint me a picture of like where it burned, how it looks now, and kind of how it's returning. Sure. So it started, the Riverside Fire started by Riverside Campground. Um, the Forest Service is super creative about their fire names. But so it started right there. Um <laughs> It was a very small fire, and Riverside Campground's probably, oh, let's say 25 miles from Estacada upriver. And so when it started blowing downstream, it, it kind of jumped a lot. 
So it actually went away from the river for a little bit, but then once it hit the main Clackamas, it just went right down the river corridor. And then mm-hmm. it kind of stopped a bit and jumped a little bit towards Estacada, but for the most part, that's when the winds had died. So the section that was most heavily burned is unfortunately the section that is most heavily rafted. So it's this 13 mile intermediate stretch from about Three Links Powerhouse down to the, the North Fork Reservoir, which is where all, most of the intermediate class three, four is. And above that, it's a bit patchy here and there. Um, but for the most part, the upper river, everybody's familiar with Bagby Hot Springs and, and some areas up there did not burn at all and are still pristine. And even on the intermediate stretch where it burned real hot, it did jump over a few sections. So it's not, you know, it's not entirely gone. Uh, there are quite a few live trees left. There's quite a bit more regrowth now. There are very little impacts to the river itself as far as the water quality is still very clear. There's no additional hazards in that section. Uh, so at this point, it really is just kind of adjusting that, you know, a lot of the really lush forest that was there uh, was heavily impacted. Um, but it's growing back really fast. And I think the river experience itself uh, is vastly unchanged. You know, that it reminds me of the North Sandium a little bit, which is kind of my backyard river where, you know, right after the fire, people, it was just doom and gloom and then you got out there and even like a year and two years later now, it, I mean, you can tell something happened for sure, but it's the experience isn't really any different. So is it kind of the same, same way on the Clackamas? And what are your guests uh, who come on trips so far this spring and summer? Like, what have they said about the fire impact? Like, are they, do they really notice it? Or is it just like, oh yeah, I mean, something happened, but I'm not that, I'm more focused on the the. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we've been paying attention to that. I think it was a real shock for a lot of the guides and people that were up there every single day. And that was a bit disorienting because you just, uh, it just is very different. Uh, But even for us, you know, we did some tours and we did some scouting for hazards and things. And even after the third or fourth trip up there, we all kind of had adjusted and um, were able to see, just kind of look on the positive side. There were a lot of waterfalls that we never knew were even up in the cliffs that you can see now because there's not as much tree canopy. The geology really jumps out at you um, that you never used to notice before. And there's some fascinating geology up there, big towering cliffs and, and cool lava features that you really didn't see either. So we kind of quickly adjusted to, wow, this is kind of really cool. And the more you do that, the less you kind of stick with the picture you had in your brain before. Um, So that's been a really interesting process. And then also we recognize once we're down on the river, you know, the views are different, but there are enough live trees and, and enough patches of stuff that got skipped by the fire that the, the experience really is the same, even for us. And we've been talking to customers and and trying to get their feedback too. We've had very few, if any buddy even comment or, even be particularly concerned. And I'm not sure why that is, if they just don't have experience with fires or or what, um, but uh, almost to a person, they're just focused on the white water and the clear water blows people away quite a bit. Um, and just that experience. And we have had, I don't think we've had any comments about fire damage or burn other than just some, hey, what happened here, information about fires in general, which is something else we get to talk about, which is interesting too. 
what what's your split for visitors like v- you know locals versus like people coming from you know out of state or even out of country? Uh, it's probably 50 50 honestly um depends a little bit on the nature of travel and i think this year air travel is still a little bit down so it's probably a little bit different shift there but we probably get half the crew that are coming from out of state they might have a connection to oregon maybe they know someone's living here they're visiting but you know oregon and, and portland as well have have done a, a great job at marketing oregon uh, both internationally and nationally um, and have put in a lot of resources into getting it more known. So we're kind of getting the benefit of that and people, uh, you know, coming here for a week and and going to the coast and doing different things and kind of rafting slots into that. Um, And that hasn't changed that much over the course. I mean, I think with the initial two years ago pandemic, it was much more skewed towards locals, probably 80-20. But I think we're mostly back to probably 50-50 at this point. I want to talk just real quickly about fishing. I mean, you could do an entire podcast on fishing on the Clackamas. We're going to focus a little bit more on on running the river. But real briefly, I mean, what do people mainly target uh, out on the Clack? And what parts of the river? Is it mostly lower river for fishing, or do people do it in the upper river? So, like, how's, how sure, does that Sure, it's mostly down? the lower river because there's a there's a, a hatchery program that right out of Estacada. And so that's kind of supports a lot of the sport fishing on the lower river. But they are fishing for hatcheries, salmon and steelhead, as well as there's a, a couple wild runs that are still fairly strong uh, fishing for that. And that's primarily on the lower river in particular. By the time they get mm-hmm. up to the upper river, they're really not you know great for catching anyway. And a lot of them have to be catch and release. And so all the guided fishing tours are happening on the lower river. So that's the main. Uh, there's really good trout fishing in the lower um, that gets overlooked, I think, because people are kind of fishing for the big stuff. But if you're trout fishing, um, there's a great, I mean, it's great fishing uh, on the lower down from Estacada for trout fishing. A lot of uh, little inlets and calm actions, a lot of great habitat. As you get up onto the upper river up past Estacada, um, it's not, it was stocked at one point with trout and then it, it then it wasn't. And so that uh, section that folks are rafting isn't really that great of fishing still. It doesn't really have a lot of resident trout there. It's becoming more popular for fly fishing, though, with folks doing classes up there and fly fishing just because it's not crowded. There's good places to cast from. And small small fish are okay, a little bit more okay for fly fishing. So we see more people fly fishing in that stretch, even in the last five, six years, I think. The river's open at this point, but not all the campsites are not a lot of the trails are correct. So can you kind of detail that a little bit, like what's actually open and what's not open? At right. This point? So um, the, they opened a small section uh, from essentially Estacada up to basically Bripplebrook campground, which is about 20 miles, let's say of a river that of highway that was closed. Mm-hmm. The section along the highway that's, that's open right now, does not have any open campgrounds has and there's no camping allowed at all and even in dispersed camping it is mostly accessible for anywhere really for day use there's a couple established day use sites that are open uh, including some boat launches it's not uh, it is possible just to go and sit by the river in several spots that aren't necessarily in technical day use areas. Mm -hmm. So you can still get a day use experience hanging out by the river, you know, having some snacks and things and going rafting. Really the thing that's missing is 
any kind of overnight camping. And I mean, I that's like, like a lot of these places that were burned. It's sort of, you know, the Forest Service has talked about it taking a, a few years to get it back to what people remember, at least in that in that corridor. Yeah. Well, well, any other notes? We're gonna we're gonna hit the river more specifically coming up next. But any other interesting notes on the Clackamas, like history, fun stories, or anything else before we uh, kind of jump into the details yeah, a little the, more? The Clackamas is interesting, and, and Estacada in general is interesting too. The the history it's gone through is is kind of cool. I mean, so the Clackamas is kind of the closest rugged river to Portland, and because it has water year round from these springs. Um, was targeted really early on for um, really early, early hydroelectric stuff. I mean, I think Oregon City was first, but Estacado was a close second. So they put these dams in and started generating electricity, and then were transporting that electricity to Oregon City and Portland really, really early. And because they did that, they also, I think, put in an electric trolley that went from Portland to Estacada. And so Estacada was this little resort town that you could get to on the electric train because they had these power generation stations. So the, the power generating on the Clackamas has this long, long, uh, really cool history out there um, that's impacted Estacada as well. The other interesting part of that as well is because there's enough gradient and, and coming from that rugged terrain is they had, Oregon City had a very, very early uh, water system that came down from some of the, falls that were on the, the South Fork of the Clackamas, which is, let's say, seven miles from Estacada, has uh, 120-foot falls and a 60-foot waterfall. Um, so it has this huge amount of gradient and water. And so they plumbed that with pipes, uh, dug caves and pipes going through caves and, and ran it all the way down to Oregon City really, really early on. Um, and now it's mm. it's kind of in disrepair, but you can go up and still see that infrastructure, uh, the caves and the pipes and the inlets and the valves and stuff are all up in there, which is just fascinating. The efforts they went to to kind of get infrastructure to Portland back in the day. I don't know that they'd ever do that anymore uh, because it's just so much work, but they were willing to do it back then. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of early irrigation and electricity program. Um, yeah, or drinking water, I think, in particular, and, and yeah. uh, electric generation, yeah. Well, well, the electric generation thing is fascinating. I think it, uh, Portland had like some of the first power lines in the United States that were coming from like Willamette right. Falls. And that it sounds like PGE, like, you know, it was the same kind of thing coming from uh, Estacada. Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. It was like the first like stoplights to be powered by electric generation from these. Well, these and you think about it, I mean, there's just not, and that's what's also cool about the Clackamas. I mean, there's not a lot of major metropolitan areas that have rugged rivers that are just so close. Early on, they recognized, wow, this isn't very far. And look at all how rugged this is. We could do this uh, because we have the amount of gradient in the stream. All right. Well, we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we are going to travel upriver through kind of the lazy inner tube floats to the reservoirs to the thrilling whitewater of the upper river. So that's when we return. I'm Sarah Gafori with American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. I moved to Oregon because of my love for the outdoors. It also inspired me to go to law school and pursue a career in environmental law. At AFRC, I have the pleasure of advocating for science-based forest management throughout the West. Protecting our public lands helps achieve important conservation goals, including clean air, 
clean water, and robust wildlife habitat. It also helps provide renewable, climate-friendly wood products that we all depend on. We strongly believe that active management of our public lands is the right thing to do for the environment, for the economy, and for our future. Learn more about AFRC at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. So the trails of the Oregon coast and the Tillamook coast are popular for good reason. They offer everything from panoramic ocean views to stands of venerable old growth trees. With the need to get outside and experience these places stronger now than ever, you'll find their parking lots and trails are also often full. With a little pre-planning, you can avoid the crowds and discover some new favorite trails. Visit our trails and recreation map online at TillamookCoast.com. You can choose from a wide variety of lesser known trails. Not only will you be opening yourself up to new discovery, but you'll be helping to ease the wear and tear on many of our most crowded spots. So once again, check out TillamookCoast.com to get started with your less traveled adventure. All right, welcome back. Okay, so Pete, let's start on the lower Clackamas. Now, what makes the area below Estacada and Estacada Lake worth paddling? Like, I was just up there with uh, with my family, and it's a really beautiful stretch of river. It didn't, you know, didn't burn at all, so it's still very lush. The rapids were fun, but not threatening. The water was swimmable. It was kind of warm, and it was fun to just, like, tow the kids around on, like, little tubes, you know, from the raft and stuff. So what is the lower river bring to the table and do you run trips down there uh, we do run trips down there and it, it is a really nice gentle introduction to a river experience um, very few hazards and and like you said really nice scenery for years and years uh barton section barton to carver which is kind of the middle of the lower was the tubing location and i think it's because it's so close to portland it's got a park at the beginning and end you can do shuttle and it's very very easy to do and it has some few rapids here and there, a lot of moving current, which is fun for a tube, small waves and stuff like that. And above that was kind of a little bit more, I would say almost pristine, not really pristine, but um, much, much less crowded because the Barton to Carver section got so crowded. Um, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people trying to get on the river. <laughs> Folks have gradually moved up river um, to the more, uh, the, what was usually the less crowded area. So now we, we kind of see both sections kind of really crowded for the most part on a hot summer weekend i think the major attraction is is honestly is clean water it's clean it's a great temperature for swimming it's not too cold not too warm and it's just not dirty it's safe to swim and it's just very pleasant to be down there in the water so most folks are looking for that like i want to cool off i want to laze around in the river and cool off um, and i don't necessarily want to worry about getting in trouble with rapids. I think some folks are surprised as you put in kind of where you started in McIver Park, there are rapids there. Yeah. And I think some people are like, whoa, I didn't realize that what rapid was there. Um, I don't think they're big enough that it gives most folks real significant trouble. Um, but there certainly are lost coolers and 
people flipping and all sorts of things going on there. But um, generally, folks come back out the other side and, um, you know, kind of keep going downriver. But I think that section in particular, so we, if we started from SDK to say McIver State Park is there, uh, McIver Park down to say Barton is a little more scenic, uh, a little bit less developed, less houses um, and that kind of stuff. As you get further down, you get more into some houses along the side and, and it's just not quite as pretty. Um, so particularly during the week, if you're looking for something that is a little quieter and uh, less people and bigger trees and more wildlife, you kind of are gravitating towards McIver Park. If you just want something close and social, you start at Barton and go down uh, further. Yeah. And I mean, I was out there on a hot weekend and it was, you know, there was a, a ton of people. And I wanted to ask you about kind of that tube culture, because like, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, Milo down to Barton and there is, you know, class two plus rapids and stuff. And so I think we were uh, like, there's a lot of people in the tubes and the sketchy boats. I think we rescued something like four different groups, like just picking up their stuff that had flipped. And I mean, is, is that a problem or is it pretty much harmless fun that hasn't been a major concern? Yeah, it's, it's mainly harmless fun. Um, you know, there are occasionally some folks that need help. I think if folks stick with the inflatable stuff, generally stuff works out. So if you flip over, you can hang on to that. I think the worst situations I've seen have been people that are in lake kayaks, for example, that don't drain. And if they fill up with water, they just sink. Uh, so I've seen people basically going down the river without a boat because the boat is sunk and not accessible anymore and also without a life jacket which starts to get into a, a a tricky situation i think the forgiving factor up in that stretch in particular that has the rapids is a lot of times in the summertime the water is fairly low and is very shallow and so uh, there's a lot of places that would normally be maybe a problem you can almost just kind of get yourself to shore real easily without having to get sucked downstream i think mm -hmm. the the lower section is a little bit more of an issue because there are some deep holes there that might be more dangerous than folks think. Um, and if they don't have a life jacket on in particular, um, or they've been drinking in particular, um, they can really have some issues. So I think all the really bad incidents that's happened on the lower Clackamas have actually been farther down on the easier section from Barton to Carver or even Carver down to the mouth. Um, because of those deep holes that people kind of underestimate um, and maybe not a strong swimmer. I, I will say that there has been a focus on getting people into life jackets, uh, which has really cut down on, I think, people having really significant problems. Well, I, I mean, I have two little kids and they were actually, they kind of loved the like quirky <laughs> scene on the river where you had like, there was like guys that are like almost naked with like a tube and like, um, you know, a big sun hat and like a umbrella right. over the top. And like, it's just, it's just like a quirky yeah. scene. So I, you know, it seemed like good fun for the yeah. most part. So, okay. Well, you know, we've, we've hit a, on most of the points, I think for the lower river. So let's, let's head upstream a little bit, um, to, uh, Estacada Lake. There's North Fork Reservoir. I don't want to linger here for, for too long. Cause I want to get to the fun rapids, but, um, you know, what are the main types of, of recreation up on that flat water? Like what, what's the scene? Yeah, so Estacada Lake is mainly human powered paddling. So a lot of stand up paddle boards, uh, lake kayaks, flat water stuff. Uh, the people are just paddling around there. There is a little bit of 
boat traffic for fishing, uh, but it's not big enough and speedboats aren't allowed. And so there's no water skiing and wakeboarding and that sort of thing. So it really is just, and it's, it's a long skinny lake. So you have a lot of very pretty shoreline, uh, which is really nice too. So it's very scenic. It does get a bit crowded on hot weekends. It's been discovered a little bit, but I don't know that that's, you know, takes away too much from the experience, but it's just a quiet paddle and you can go up and look, there's a little waterfall you can look at and you can go for quite a ways up if you want, but most folks just kind of go out and paddle around a little bit, hang out on the river. When you get up to the North Fork Reservoir, much, much bigger. Um, and so that's much more wakeboarding, water skiing, power boats. There is also, uh, you know, stand-up paddle boarding and, and flat water paddling there as well. But you do have a little bit of the conflict there. And it's pretty good for wakeboarding. It's not a huge lake, um, but it doesn't get a lot of waves and stuff. So it's pretty good for that sort of thing. Um, and then people do fish that quite a bit too because they stock it. So you'll see folks going out in boats and trolling and fishing as well. I wanted to circle back a little bit to uh, Milo McCarver State Park because it's really a nice state park. It's got a campground and then it has that, it looked like there was pretty easy access to Estacada Lake. So, I mean, would you recommend kind of a good family camping trip at the state park and then going up and hanging out, you know, on the reservoir a few days, maybe getting a little trip down the lower river. It seems like you could hang out and do a lot. Yeah. McIver state park is a, is a, is amazing park. It really is. Um, and as I've gotten to know it, we camped there early on with our kids and just kind of stayed in the campground, but there really is so much more there. It's really pretty interesting. Um, so they have access to Estacada Lake. So you can take your power board up there and paddle around or, do a little fishing or something. You have a lot, multiple access points to the river to float or just hang out and swim. There's a really strong horseback riding contingent there um, and some long trails. Uh, my wife goes there to trail run uh, fairly often. Um, so they have a nice trail running. They also have a very, very well-renowned um, disc golf course there that has a big national tournament at some point in the summer as well. Yeah, I was amazed by how big it was, especially on the river. Like, you could put in at the upper boat ramp, float down through some pretty fun, you know, rapids, and then take out at right. the lower boat ramp at the state park and still be pretty happy with your float. Yeah. Um, just just within the state park, which is... Yeah, and a lot of folks mind. do that. It's about an hour and a half, maybe, uh, maybe two hours if you stop to swim, which is a nice half day of floating. And then you just take out and you drive you know, in the park, back up to where you started. Maybe you do it twice or maybe not. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really good option. You get almost all the rapids on the river in that standpoint. Um, and it makes the logistics super easy. So it's, yeah, when we go out there and we talk about where the park is, I'm like, no, we're still in the park. And you're like, it's an hour later. <laughs> but it, it really runs right along the river for quite a ways. I think that also makes it kind of a unique, unique place. Yeah, you know, that state park, I just feel like it's overlooked a little bit because it's so close to, to Portland. And when people think about getting out to a state park, they think about going out to the coast or Smith Rock or something. But uh, yeah, Milo's yeah. a gem. I was I was really, I yeah, was really I totally impressed agree. by it. Let's head upstream and get into, you know, the really, the really famous stuff. So, I, you know, I think this might be, you know, once you get above Estacada, above those reservoirs, I think we're talking about maybe the most famous whitewater run in Oregon or certainly on that list and you know you've mentioned the the three links powerhouse to north fork reservoir so is that still the main trip even with the fire impacts um is that still the the big trip that that you hit and that you run trips on and is that still kind of the famous spot it, it is it, it's shifted a little bit um just because of 
impact to the upper put-in that the Forest Service still really isn't allowing oh, developed access to the upper stretch up by the powerhouse. So um, you can still do it, but it's a little bit more work. And I think a lot of folks have been scared away from it. So we see much more this year, folks kind of doing a half day. Uh, so half of that stretch, maybe seven to eight miles rather than 13 miles. But that's also where the, about 80% of the bigger rapids are. So that section has always been a little bit more used than uh, the full 13-mile section. Okay, so what is the main put-in now? Like where, like either where are you guys putting in or where are the most majority of people putting in and taking out for, for to hit those? Sure, it's um, hole-in-the-wall uh, boat access site. So it was a site developed about well, maybe five years ago by Portland General Electric as part of their uh, dam license uh, to provide some boating access. And so they kind of put a bathroom and boat ramp and uh, it puts you in right above hole in wall rapid, which is kind of a fun, really nice start. And then it runs down through the really popular Carter Bridge section where there used to be and there still are uh, a kind of a cluster of campgrounds. So a lot of people would base there and then run down through past their campground. And those are kind of the, it includes kind of the section of the, that what I would consider the signature rapids on that stretch, Hole in the Wall and Carter Bridge and Toilet Bowl. And then you finish up generally at more Creek boat access site, uh, which is a few miles above the reservoir. It gets a little bit flatter after that. So a lot of folks are kind of, they've gotten enough by that point. And so they'll take out at Moore Creek, which is also another site that was developed by Portland General Electric. So there's a changing rooms and bathroom and, um, and a, trail go up from the river too so it makes it pretty convenient for most folks particularly in in rafts uh, kayaks kind of will use some other little spots here and there because they're easier to move around but rafts in general that's the, the the best way to do it now describe the rapids um a little bit like do you have a favorite and what makes them them fun like what makes rapids like carter bridge and toilet bowl like so much fun to, to, to run and like, you know, what experience are you giving people when you take? Sure. Them? I mean, early season when the water's up high, uh, the Clackamas is well known. I think one of the earlier guidebooks said largest waves in the Cascades. And that's probably true at high water. Um, so you've had these big waves, fast water. It kind of bounces off the sides um, uh, at times, which makes for some interesting, funny water that kind of you keeps your attention. And then later in the summer, it gets much more technical. So you're doing maneuvering and trying to stay in the current. But because it's kind of a high mountain stream, the rapids still are there. They just go from kind of a big flush through big waves to a sharp drop through a wave uh, versus just kind of this big run in through a big wave. So it keeps, from that standpoint, it's nice. It keeps the, our, you know everyone's attention. Our trips are kind of summer trips, so June through Labor Day, let's say. So you are dealing with like lower water and maneuvering. And I think from a guided standpoint, you know, we do a lot to try to hit the best parts of the rapids. So they may go from, hey, just go anywhere and you're going to hit that wave to let's go a little bit off of here to try to get this bigger curler wave kind of thing. Do you have a favorite rapid um, that to, to bring guests through that, that they always seem to, to, to react to? I think well that, to? there's two signature rapids. It's Carter Bridge and Toilet Bowl are the two, what I would say, signature rapids. And so at high water, Carter Bridge has a pretty aggressive, what I would call a class four line. You don't have to do it that way. But if you choose to do it, it's a big, big hit. It's a stop the boat, completely underwater kind of hit. 
um, at really high water, um, let's say 10,000 CFS, which it gets occasionally in the spring. It did this spring. Uh, Carter Bridge is as big as some of the stuff I saw in the Grand Canyon. It's huge, huge, big, big <laughs> waves that you're going through. Um, and that's super, super memorable. Toilet bowl is just this big flush and it is probably everyone's favorite because in the spring, uh, higher water, it's this big series of waves that you just run going up and down over big enough to flip the boat sometimes. And then even now, uh, it's this kind of very fast down through a big wave at the bottom. It's almost like kind of going through a, a, a big wall of water that just hits you in the face and you're like, what was that? And so people come through that one. And most of the time that's their, wow, that was fantastic. That was their, their favorite. Um, so depending on the line I'm doing and the, re the water level, one of those two is generally my favorite on, on the trip. If folks are kind of want to go the class four way. Now this is the area that the, the famous Clackamas river festival has, has, has been in, in the past. So, you know, I know you mentioned it's, been off for a couple of years due to covid and and the wildfire stuff but it sounds like it's coming back so just give me a, a sense of the scene for that whitewater festival i think you know we've talked about it being the biggest in oregon by a good stretch and so yeah just describe that scene kind of where the festival came from and, and yeah so it started real early on i mean i think they're on, they were on 30 years or something so well back in the kind of the beginning of boating in portland area or the beginning in rafting and it really was a rafting festival for the most part. And so I think the Clackamas early on rafting was, how do I get ready for some of the bigger trips I'm going to do? How do I make sure my boat's ready for my Grand Canyon trip or my big, long overnight trip? Well, I'll take it out to the Clackamas fully loaded and I'll get, you know, my everything worked out um, because it's so close and I can and work on it. And then in the spring, you obviously have these fun runs um, that were done really early on for rafters in particular, I think kayaks would kind of were gravitating even then towards some of the harder rivers around and stuff. So I think it started basically as a, hey, let's kick off the summer rafting season with kind of a last hurrah on the, the higher water of the Clackamas. And it started as just a few rafts kind of wanting to get together and basically socialize and, oh, let's throw in a couple events just for bragging rights kind of thing. We'll, we'll do a slalom run and we'll do a, a race kind of run. It was all focused around Carter Bridge because like I said, that is one of the signature rapids and there's really good access right there. Um, toilet bowl is less good access. And so you can kind of set up tents. You can kind of do a variety of shore-based stuff around Carter Bridge and it has all the campgrounds. So folks would go out for the weekend and camp and, and raft as well. And so it was around Carter Bridge where everything was centered. And then it just kind of evolved and, and gradually they, uh, they kind of started including kayakers um, because kayaking was getting more popular. And I think in some sense, rafters were getting older. <laughs> so they wanted some fresh young blood. Uh, so at one point they had like a, a ramp that would toss kayakers out into the middle of the river and they do flips and tricks and entertain people. <laughs> Um, so it's gone through several evol evolutions, but it really still at its heart is a social camping boater. Let's sit around and talk about boating and watch some people boat. They have a Dutch oven contest for cooking and really the camping and hanging out is almost as much as the on river stuff. Um, and I think it really does still kind of set the stage for what would be the summer boating season as a let's all get together before we go and do our other trips all over the state. 
um, and celebrate kind of our local river. And it sounds like it's going to be back next year. That's that's the plan because it's been off for what, like two, three Yeah, years so the point? first year was COVID and they couldn't have any large uh, groups. And then it was closed last year for the fire. And then it was, uh, so yeah, it'll be back next year. There's a lot of people very passionate about it. I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, well, that'll, that'll be that'll be great because that's obviously a big part of the boating community. Um, now, I, I wanted to get back to the, the, you know, the big rapids and stuff. Now, obviously, people can take the guided trip through, you know, Carter Bridge and Toilet Bowl. But for this area, what kind of experience should you have before putting on the river? In other words, like what kind of skills do you want before hitting that that stretch of the? Of yeah, the I think that it still is a strong intermediate uh, skill set that really you want, whether you're talking about kayaking or rafting, you know, it, it's, it's forgiving enough that you could go up there with very little experience and certainly people do, and they do mostly come through fine. Uh, but over the years, you know, we've been involved in some rescues and, and they all worked out fine, but it, it's serious enough and, and challenging enough. I think that you really want to come in with a little bit stronger skill set than you might think in order to enjoy it. There's just some places that are kind of counterintuitive about where you want to be and where's the safe place to be, that if you don't have that experience, you're not going to recognize. And the water is still very cold. And so if you don't have proper gear and you get in trouble, you know, you could really have a bad experience. It's still rugged enough up there that, you know, there's, it's difficult to get out in certain places if someone gets injured. So I think, I think a strong intermediate, if you're talking about kayaking in particular, it, it's, it's not a great place to learn uh, because it's shallow and rocky and, and you get a lot of folks that will go up there as their first kind of intermediate experience. And it doesn't usually turn out very well. <laughs> you know, it's a big step from Barton to Carver or anything, the lower Clackamas, there's a big step from that to the upper Clackamas. And so I usually, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. I wouldn't do that. I would, if I was learning on the lower Clackamas, I would go to the Santy M, North Santy M, uh, mm-hmm. as a next step because I think that's more forgiving, and kind of get things worked out down there, and then go to the Clackamas when I have kind of a stronger Class Three experience and skill set, and at least I can recognize hazards and stay away from the biggest hazards, even if you know my skills aren't perfect. I can at least stay safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to rafters as well. Um, and I think that it, over the years, it's gotten a reputation that keeps people away that don't have those skills. We don't see a lot of folks in tubes or inexpensive rafts without any experience and without life jackets stuff. We just don't see them very much up there. Um, we used to see more, but we just don't anymore. Um, and I think they've been scared away a little bit and people have learned like, hey, that's a little bit more work than I want. And so they have been sticking to the lower Clackamas, which is probably for the better, I would say. So we've hit that that area in, in, in force here, but there's great rapids upstream and pretty pretty famous stuff. So do you run trips like in the June Bridge, uh, the Kalawash areas? And, and tell me about that area as you get farther. Yeah, upstream. we were originally allowed to do some trips up there. Um, and we did a couple trips up there, but it's a... Uh, it, it doesn't really lend itself to commercial trips. Um, it could lend itself to commercial kayak trips, I suppose, but there hasn't been an outfitter that's been doing commercial kayak trips on the Clackamas, really. Um, so that's kind of yet to be determined, I suppose. For rafting, the, the sections are just awkward enough, uh, whether they have a big rapid like Killer Fang, which it, you can't run in a raft necessarily um, and is hard to get around. 
uh, or the section is just a little bit too short or um, the other thing we run into is when those sections are really, really good, the, the regular section, uh, the three link section, we call it, is really, really good. And the logistics are way easier on uh, the main 13 mile stretch. And so it's hard to justify kind of harder logistics and potentially more dangerous um, things when you have such a great quality stretch of river. From a kayaking standpoint in particular, um, there's some really, really interesting uh, sections of river up there. And that we were pushing pretty hard to try to get those open in May. Um, because they're great in the spring. Uh, the June Creek section is a fantastic, strong intermediate nine miles of just continuous intermediate whitewater. It's like fantastic for getting those skills uh, developed. The, the scenery is just outstanding on the Kalawash with some waterfalls and, and other little tributaries and there's dispersed camping up there. And so there's a, there's a lot of opportunities and they're very untraveled. Uh, so the locals do them, but um, you're still driving, you know, an hour and a half up the river, which uh, dissuades a lot of people. Um, and so they're very uncrowded sections of river up there. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about Killer Fang because I, I have a close friend who loves telling the story of how he accidentally floated into it and, and barely <laughs> survived. Um, so what? Do you, first off, do you know who named it? And and second, like what what is what in like what is the rapid like like what's entailed if you if you accidentally yeah through no, it? i mean it's been in the guidebooks uh for a long long time almost the very first guidebook so there were early early folks up there kayaking it and and those guys are a little more creative with their names which is really good um there's a name on the malala called the laughing teeth of death one of my favorite <laughs> one so killer fang i think is a is a good one and it actually does kind of describe the rapid fairly well the regular stretch of the Clackamas, you know, like the commercial stretch has some pretty boring names, but it's nice that um, they have some creative names there. So basically Killer Fang is, is it's in a cliff, cliffed out area and the cliff basically calved off with a huge rock slab that fell onto the river. Well, it didn't fall all the way to the bottom of the river. It, it, it allows water to go underneath it. Um, oh. So you have this siphon situation, which is really weird to look at because you can actually see this big whirlpool and it goes down and it comes out the other side. Um, but it's not <laughs> passable for people or rafts because um, there's wood down in there and everything. It would be very, very dangerous. It's it's pretty easy to see coming up. I don't know how you could really bumble your way in there, but it, in certain places it would be difficult to recognize how to get out. Uh, before it. So it is always a bit stressful, particularly as the water is higher, because you, you do have a real risk of that you could get washed into it. And then the options are not good. About 80% of the water goes into the siphon and about 20% goes around it. And so trying to roll the dice and say, oh, I'm going to try to get to that 20% of water is, is a little bit uh, less odds than I would like for sure. But it's also this big area where there's huge boulders. It's a big landslide area. So there's huge boulders all around it. So even just walking around it and carrying your boat is a process because you're up and over big boulders. You're kind of going through and under a couple boulders to get around it. And and so I think that's part of it is it's just this rugged place that is a lot of work uh, to get around it, particularly if you don't know, you know, if you've never been there before. I mean, but extreme, you know, really good kayakers go through, run that rapid, don't they, on a regular basis or not so much? No, not so much. It's it's interesting. Uh, you know, it has been run for sure. Uh, and there's definitely a way to run it. And, and most folks can see the way to run it. But the, 
the screw-up factor is such that uh, I've been in there with really good voters, like uh, voters that have pioneered some of the hardest runs in Washington. And they looked at it and said, nah, not really. <laughs> and I was surprised. I said, really? I thought you would run this. Nah, not really worth it. And then they just walk yeah. around. So there's something about it that even if you make the line, it's maybe not as fun as would overcome the stress of missing the line. Uh, so it, it's been run probably a handful or more times, but it's not necessarily on a regular basis by any means. And most yeah. of the time it's a one. And if you talk to the folks that run it and ask them if they're going to run it again, almost inevitably they say no. The, the upside downside equation is uh, heavily on the downside. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we, we've touched on most of the, the stuff here on the Clackamas River. Anything else that we the, we missed or that people should know about the lower, the upper or the reservoirs on the uh, on the Clackamas? Um, I think the, the big thing that I always find we talked about at the very beginning and I always find it to be true is that the, the Clackamas, for how close it is, still has a lot of places that you can get a unique experience by yourself almost. And, and that's really strange to think of. So whether you're you're focused on the lower river and McIver State Park or Barton or or the upper river, depending on the day and, and the time of day you start can make a huge difference. You really still can get a quality experience without feeling like you're getting crowded or managed to death. Um, mm-hmm. You find very few people you know, trying to shape your experience. You can decide what your experience wants to be. And for the most part, you can still get that. There still are little swimming holes that you can go to and and find some isolation. There's still, you know, put on it an hour earlier than you might normally, and you won't find huge crowds. Go at a different time of year, a different day of the week. And that's pretty amazing for, like I said, being so close to Portland and with the population of Portland that you can still have that experience. Um, I think is still unique. And so that's kind of what I think brings people back as they can they can still have the experience that they remembered 20 years ago, which is not always the case in, in other places, particularly with, you know, how populations are growing and places are discovered. And Yeah, well, it's fantastic that the Clackamas is both still wild and is, you know, generally open to, to hit the river again this year. So all good news and, and better stuff to come. So, well, once again, I've been talking with... Uh, Pete Gordano, the owner of Blue Sky Rafting. Thanks again for joining us, Pete. This has been great. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com slash explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.